0: So Jesus asked that through your word you would call us out of our comfort zone, help us to walk more boldly with you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good to see all of you. Those of you on the podcast, thanks for being here. I uh, I just want you to know that over the next few months, I am going to do my best not to draw every sermon illustration from last week's game. <laughs> but I make you no promises because Lord have mercy, will that thing preach? I mean unbelievable, like, like as a fan it was just awesome, but you know, it was also like winning the sermon illustration lottery, you know? and I am absolutely convinced it was my hawk socks that I was wearing that made the difference, so I am going to wear them next week because I really want them to win for lots of reasons, one is to shut up that irritating East Coast media bias, so yeah, there's, there's amens in the other service for that one too, uh, I, uh, and I'm also grateful for the Seahawks for giving me a perfect illustration of this week's topic. We are doing a sermon ser- series on the seven, some habits that help us grow spiritually and relationally and emotionally. And the first we talked about was deleting our self-deceptions. The second I want to talk about today is to move in faith, not fear. And that is exactly what you saw in last week's game, isn't it? I mean, that, that fake field goal, that was, that was bold. Uh, and especially, man, that last catch. You know, after five failed pass attempts to curse, four of which were intercepted, it would have been so easy for Russell Wilson to just look for other options than curse in understandable fear that this wasn't his day, it's a bad idea to throw to him. But not only did he throw it to him, he even called it beforehand, beforehand told the offensive coach, I'm going to throw a touchdown to curse. That is moving in faith, not Fear. And that's the kind of habit we need in order to grow spiritually, emotionally, and every other way. But before I go further, I just want to pause and say, notice I said the word move in faith, not fear. That is, we may feel fear. That's normal. The question is, what are we moving and what's driving our decisions and our behaviors? Faith or fear? Feel what you need to, but move out of faith. It's not about your emotions, it's about your emotions, And I need to hear that because, I don't know about you, but fear can drive a lot of my behaviors. For instance, a lot of us overschedule our kids for fear that they're gonna miss some educational or athletic opportunity they need to get into Harvard or something like that. Or, or, or we, we try to keep them from getting hurt emotionally or socially or, or we're afraid to let them make mistakes even though that's how people learn. I think at some point this generation is going to come back to us and say, so let me get this straight. Your grand ambition for my life was that I be safe, not have an adventure, not learn from my mistakes, just be safe. I mean, wow, aim high, Mom and Dad, thanks. Right? Or, uh, fear drives financial decisions. Fear sometimes keeps us stuck in jobs we hate because we're afraid to downsize our lifestyle so we can take a job we love that pays less. Fear means we don't take risk to follow Jesus, to help other people or simply identify as a Christian at work. Sometimes we don't open up to other people because we're afraid or we lash out and get defensive out of fear. Fear causes us to not do what we should and to do what we should not. And the result is we don't grow because if we're not stepping out, if we're not trying new things, if we're not risking, we don't grow. But in the Bible, Caleb, who we just read about, Caleb shows us a different way to live. Now the background for this story is that that after the Israelites got out of slavery in Egypt, they came to the brink of the promised land and Moses sent in 12 spies, 10 of which came back and said, oh, we can't go in there. No, no, no. There are giants there and they're stronger than we are and we'll surely lose. And No, fear, 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 fear. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, the Lord is with us. We can do this. And Caleb shows us a couple of things about moving in faith, not fear. And the first is this. Don't buy the false bravado of the enemy. The text says that the ten fearful spies spread among the Israelites a bad report. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We'll get beat. We can't do it. Now, the Nephilim was a race of giants that lived before Noah's flood, but there weren't two Nephilim on that ark, so how were they supposed to have survived Noah's flood, right? They didn't. These spies, they're exaggerating their report. They're, they're, they're spreading a bad report, and it's exaggerated. You know, suddenly the promised land is like Jurassic Park, and, you know, there are these humanosauruses there, and we can't go in. Now, I'm sure they made it sound all very rational, like we do. Well, you know, I'm just being a good steward of my life, and I don't want to take foolish risks. Well, yeah, that's true. But if we let that be an excuse for moving in fear, we don't grow. And so often what we fear is exaggerated, all hat and no cattle. And if we just confront it in the name of Jesus, it will retreat. As a lot of you know, last year Robinson Cano came over from the New York Yankees to play with the Mariners. And a lot of Yankees were kind of ticked off at him for that. So last spring when the Mariners were in New York to play, the Yankees, the Jimmy Fallon show put a cardboard cutout of Robinson Cano up that, that New Yorkers could boo at, only when they did it, they, they, they got a surprise. Take a look. Are you going to boo him? Uh, you know, he won a World Series ring here, but he did leave for the money, so. Why don't you go ahead and give him as many boos as you want? Come on, Robinson. I mean, how many World Series titles do the Mariners have? Oh, come on, boo! You're better than that. Boo! Ooh. <laughs> boo, Robinson. You should have stayed here. Winners is this in New York, not in Seattle. Try doing it one more time. Boo! Stay in Seattle. We don't need you in New York. Hey! How are you? Good, how you I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Boo! 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 Actually, try one more. One more? Yeah. How you doing? Woo! Listen, about that, right? Here's what happened. (laughs) Often the things we fear are like those Yankees fans. Right? So much bluster, but once you just confront them, they're all like, oh, hey, you know? Not that difficult things don't happen. Of course they do. We don't always get the miracle come from behind victory. But those things don't have to win. Those hard times don't have to get in the way of us growing or even experiencing God's joy unless we move in fear, not faith. Recently, there have been a whole host of studies over the last 5, 10 years uh, showing that the often quoted statistic I've quoted in sermons that 50% of all marriages end, of, end in divorce is catastrophically false and it has never once been true. Ever. The book is called The Good News About Marriage. And, and, it, and it, the, that stat, 50%, comes from the 70s, where when no-fault divorce came on the scene, and there were a couple universities did some studies that concluded that, quote, the projected rate of divorce would be 40 to 50%. Did you catch a word in there that might have been important? Projected. What do you think the media did with that word? They dropped it out. Right, but if you if you work with numbers from the U.S. Census Bureau, pretty reliable source, turns out the divorce rate is more like twenty-five to thirty percent, still high, but it ain't half. Right? And there's so much evidence that New York Times, all kinds of places have had to admit we've been printing it wrong for decades. Here's another myth: Churchgoers get divorced at the same rate as everyone else. False. That comes from a study where they called a bunch of people and asked a bunch of questions, including, what is your religious affiliation? A lot of people said Christian, okay? But they didn't go on to ask, well, do you actually go to church? You know, do you actually pray? So when they redid that study and asked those questions, turns out if you go to church, and especially if you serve and pray together, you are way less likely to get divorced, way less likely. In fact, it cuts the chances in half. Third myth. Yeah, but those marriages that stay together, they're all miserable, False. 75% of them are happy. Not perfect, happy. And of those that are not happy, studies that track them show that those who worked on it, not just hung in there, worked on it, most of them were happy five years later. The book is called The Good News About Divorce. So that bad report, that false stat, created a lot of fear that drove a lot of behavior. I know a lot of young adults who are really kind of leery of marriage, because after all, it's a crapshoot, it's a coin toss, 50-50. Or how many folks responding to those bad stats, the fears that they generated, how many folks did things like maybe keep a little bank account on the side just in case, which can create distrust in a marriage, and suddenly now you've got marriage problems, and your fear has led to a self-fulfilling prophecy? How many people, when they got in a tough time, thought, well, I just must be in the wrong 50%, and then they just left the marriage, all because a cynical and irresponsible media spread a bad report that created a lot of fear that drove a lot of behavior? Man, I think those guys should be fined. A little time in jail wouldn't hurt either. But the good news of Jesus is we do not have to live by the bad reports of our age. We can move in faith. In our text, God says of Caleb, my servant Caleb has a different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit. He didn't let his circumstances or his fears drive him. Don't let your emotions dictate your motions. Feel what you need to feel, but move in faith. I've told you before that when I did college ministry, my group met every Wednesday night and every Wednesday morning I'd be so nervous, I'd, I'd be dizzy, I'd, I'd feel like I was going to throw up, I'd just be paralyzed, I couldn't write the talk for that night and I would just stare at my computer, I'd show up, you can ask Jesse Rice, he was there with me. You know, I'd show up, my eyes would be wide open, I'm just like terrified, right? Finally, I put a sign on my computer that said, this is what I do. On Wednesdays, I feel like I'm going to throw up, this is what I do. But I'm still going to write a talk. It may be terrible, but I'm still going to write it, I'm still going to go give it. I'm going to feel fear, but I'm going to move in faith. Now, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us do that, and I'll, I'll mention that in a minute, but, the, but, 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 but do not buy the enemy's bluster, the bad, exaggerated reports. Move in faith. Second, background doesn't matter. Faith ground does. The text we read today starts out, Now Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said... Now it'd be easy to read right past that sentence, right? But it's actually pretty important, because Kenizzites, see, they were enemies of Israel. So Caleb is an enemy, and yet he's being accepted into the community. just shows even enemies could be accepted into the Israelite community and inherit the land, as Caleb is doing here. Furthermore, Caleb's name means Dog. Only back then, dogs weren't considered cute, furry little pets. You know the kind my daughter wants, but her parents are too mean to get her one. Right? Dogs, dogs were dogs were considered unclean, nasty little brutes. You know, cats. So why? I'm getting some thumbs up here in the front row. Like, go after the cats, right? So, so, I mean, you know, why his parents named him Dog, who knows, right? It's an insult. So let me ask, do you think Caleb maybe had some baggage? Maybe he had some wounds, you know, growing up all the time saying, hey, dog, only not in the good way, right? Often our background, our wounds, the, that time the teacher said you were stupid or whatever, it just paralyzes us. Last week, during last week's game, when the Packers were attempting a field goal, my wife was doing her best to make them miss, so when the kicker was lining up, she said to him through the TV, oh, you feel your confidence slipping, you're not going to make this one. Oh, that kid who called you a dork in seventh grade is right, you really are a dork, uh, and yes, it's true, your dad really does love your brother better than you, you're going to miss it, right? That's my wife doing her part for the team, right? But isn't that what happens to us in life? You face that job interview or that big assignment at school or asking someone out on a date or even just say, going to a church retreat to meet new friends and all those voices from the past come back. You're not cool enough. You're not smart. You're not this enough or that enough. Too much of this and not enough of the other. And it directs our actions. Maybe we don't try for that new job or we don't try to meet new people or we, risk, we don't risk being vulnerable to go deeper in a friendship. Because those voices from the past haunt us. You can't, you won't, you never, you always. And so we don't even try. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't have any friends. It's because you didn't go to the retreat, dude. Right? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When the Israelites are afraid to take the land, they say, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Well, there's a good idea. Go back to where you were slaves. Bravo, Israelites. Well done. They've got this slave mentality so enslaved by their past they can't imagine a better future. And the thing about slaves is there's always someone there to feed them. So they kind of become helpless and sort of if anything good is going to happen, someone else is going to have to do it for me. So God says, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you 20 years old or more. And that's God's way of saying your fears have become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're still thinking like slaves. You won't do what it takes to go into the promised land. You won't do it. So they, what they end up is just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation all dies in the wilderness, just like they said they were afraid to, and a new generation comes of age, and they're, they're able to take the promised land. If we live by the voices of our past or live in a victim mentality, which I see a lot of, oh, my past, my parents, my, oh, you know, if it's gonna, something good's going to happen, someone's going to have to do it for me, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and we don't grow. Who cares what that idiot said about you in sixth grade? Who cares the labels that your teachers or your bosses or Who cares? You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are who he says you are. You have what he says you have, and you can do what he says you can do. And with Jesus, past performance is never indicative of future results. Background doesn't matter, faith ground does. And then finally, the third way to move in faith, not fear, is to pray this prayer, Lord, give me hill country. The story we read today happens 45 years after the Israelites were afraid to go into the promised land. That whole generation has died except for Jake, uh, Joshua and Caleb. And now they've conquered the land and they're dividing it up and Caleb gives this great speech. Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there. Their cities are large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Brave heart. You know, senior citizen, brave heart. And don't you want to be like that when you're 85? And what I love about this church is that those of you who are in your seasoned years, so many of you are like this. Caleb says, give me hill country. And what's interesting about that is in a military campaign, the lowlands are the easy thing to take. The hills are harder. But the best part of Israel is the hill country. Sometimes the best things in life are hard. Now, don't reverse that. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's good. But better is often harder. It's harder to work on a marriage, but so often it leads to something so much better. Not just we stuck it out, but you know, we've got this great marriage now. It's harder to be part of God's rescue mission, to help someone, to care for the poor, the marginalized, to mentor. But it adds excitement and, 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 and vision and, and, and meaning and purpose and adventure in our lives. It is hard to stick with something over the long haul. We want it instantly. But many of the most rewarding things in life are decades in the making. Just like a building is built brick by brick, things like noble character and raising great kids and making a difference in the world is built decision by decision, act by act over decades. And to do this, we need three things. We need his power, because this ain't self-help. This whole series is not about self-help. We need the Holy Spirit empowering us. We need to connect to him in prayer and worship. This is not about what we do. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need his power. We need his word. Because in the Bible, he gives us his promises that we can stand on, and we need his people to encourage us to say, you can do it. That's what Russell Wilson did for Jermaine Kearse. You know, I don't care about those five failed attempts. That's not who you are. Here, win the game. And Kearse said later, he never stopped believing in me. Maybe that's part of why he caught that ball. And that is exactly what Jesus says to you and to me. I don't care about your failures. I don't care about your past. That's not who you are. Here, win the game. As I've shared before, my 15-year-old daughter is learning how to drive, and she's doing a great job. Her siblings, however, aren't so sure. So sometimes when we're going to go somewhere and we say, well, Holly's going to drive, my son goes, huh? in fear. like, huh? Right? <clears throat> One time we were driving, and my son said to my youngest daughter, remember, Lucy, if you relax your body, you won't get injured when we crash. Friend, <laughs> Right? Like, when? And that's so much how I go through life. I'm going to crash. I'm going to crash. Rather than moving in confidence, knowing that God will use even the hardest times. He'll, you know, he raised Jesus from the dead. He brings dead things back to life, even the hardest times, to set us up for a comeback. You know, had last week's game been a blowout in our favor, Chances are good I'd have lived five more years, and I'm gonna live now thanks to that game. I mean, I, you almost lost me, guys. I mean, there, <coughs> there was almost gonna be an announcement for a search committee because the senior pastor died of a heart attack. Blowout would have been calmer, but way less cool, right? I mean, what a story, man. I mean, curse the hometown kid who can't make a catch all day. That goes from zero to hero in five seconds. Total redemption. Come from behind game is gonna be talked about for decades. I told my wife, I said, man, if this thing had been submitted in Hollywood as a movie script, it had been rejected as being too improbable and totally cliché. You know, sorry, we don't make Mighty Ducks movies anymore, you know? <clears throat> I so <laughs> a ripple of people who grew up in the 80s finally getting that <laughs> joke. I so often want to protect myself from the hard things, from the hard times. I really want to protect my kids even though I know that sometimes hard things make them grow. But guys, guys, the good stuff, the character, the adventure, the better story, guys, it's all in the hill country. See, the devil doesn't want to make you bad nearly as much as he wants to make you bored and rob you of life. And if he can get enough fear into you, he will get you to settle for the lowlands rather than ascend those heights every single time but I want to be like Caleb, and I know you do too. So pray it out loud and pray it proud. Lord, give me hill country. So where are you moving in fear, not faith? I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it's to ask for forgiveness from someone, volunteer in some way that makes a difference. Maybe it's to do your job with an eye to the people around you so that every day becomes an adventure as you become part of how God is healing your workplace. I don't know what it is for you, but what is it? I think of my mentor Steve, who's dying of cancer. It does not look like he's going to get that miracle come from behind victory. But he is determined to live every single day. Through his blog, he is helping thousands of people as he talks about how God is meeting him in his suffering. I have sent people in pain to that blog, and they find it so helpful. He's making videos for his kids and his grandkids, each one. Each one gets one, talking about his life, how he loves them, what's unique about them. Each of his kids and grandkids will have that the rest of their lives. He's dying, but he is still praying, Lord, give me hill country. I think about my dad, who is 80 years old and leads a Bible study in a local jail. I mean, he is totally Caleb, not moving in fear of prisoners, moving in faith, helping those who feel unloved feel loved. And he's having a blast. And studies show that, especially for juveniles in trouble with the law, if someone spends just one hour a week with them, they are far less likely to re-offend. That's a lot of crime, that's a lot of victims that aren't going to happen because Christians like my dad are moving in faith, not fear. Or I think of a couple I heard about who had filed for divorce and they were at church at Easter only because their relatives made them go and the husband felt this urge to put his arm on the armrest. It was kind of weird and he felt foolish doing it, but, 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 but he did it. Unknown to him, his wife at the exact same moment had the exact same urge and their hand hit the armrest at the exact same time. And now he had a choice. Move in fear of the awkwardness of that moment or move in faith and take her hand. And that's what he did. Afterwards, they compared notes and figured that had to be God telling them that they could, they could fix this, they could, make, you know, they could come out of it. And so that's what they did. It took them a long time. They had to work hard at it. But now they've got a great marriage because they moved in faith, not fear. You know who I felt sorry for on Sunday? It wasn't the Packers. They're a great team. They're going to rise to fight another day. You know who I felt sorry for? Oh, you so know where I'm going, don't you? I felt sorry for when there was only five minutes in that game and all the evidence pointed to defeat. I feel so sorry for those people who looked at each other and said, let's beat the traffic, shall we? And then a few minutes later, heard all these roars and cheers while they were in the parking lot. That sucks. That sucks. Look what they missed, all for fear of a little traffic. Text today said, but Caleb had a different spirit. May it be said of you, may it be said of me, may it be said of this church, but they had a different spirit. Guys, we are children of the most powerful being in the universe, so it looks weird when we're afraid. And when we move in faith, not fear, yes, there are going to be hard times, there will be losses on the way to victory, there will be discouragements and hurts and setback of every kind, but along the way, you also get some amazing moments, moments like these people here got to experience. It just doesn't get old, does it? You can just watch that thing over and over and over, man. It just doesn't get old. See all the joy on those people's faces? That's what happens when we move in faith, not fear. So Jesus, give us hill country. Lord, we confess that on our own we cannot do it. We need the power of your Holy Spirit moving in our hearts and minds. But, Lord, we know the way. We know where we want to go. We know who we want to be. So Lord, with you helping us and through your spirit, Lord, give us hill country. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.